Amen. Hey, good morning, Church on the Rock. How are you doing today? Good. Larry, you scared me for a second there. Your, your pause was so long, I was like, oh, man, he's forgotten his notes or something's happened. Larry's freaking out, and he's just giving his ties. <laughs> you scared me, man. What's going on? Hey, guys, I just want to emphasize that our missionaries that came today, and thank you guys for coming and just sharing with us and your family and your story. And I just I know Larry said this, but there is a booth right here at the end of service. And go and meet them. Get to know them. Bring your questions to them. That's what they're here for. They want to answer those things. They want to let you know what they're doing and how they're doing it and where they are and experiences and share stories and also today is our missions emphasis day i can't tell you to my shame how many times i forget to put my missions giving in and that's why we've built in every month we emphasize missions and we bring somebody that's either part of our missions team or something to remind people like me to give that forward and that's how we support our missionaries and that's how we keep them going marty said it that treat these guys like part of our family, is that how you said it right? They are. That's how we view our missionaries, is that they are part of Church on the Rock. They are part of the emphasis, the mission of Church on the Rock. And that we are, we've always believed, Brian's always said it from this platform, from the one inside, that we are ascending and planting church, and we do that through our missionaries. So I'd encourage you today, online people, in-house people, in-there's people, pavilion people, whatever people are here, missions emphasis today. Amen? All right, we're here. Hey, guys, we are in a series called Stay Positive. If you see me scoot back here and start walking behind the piano, do not worry. I'm not about to break out into song, but I am a pacer when I preach, and I'm a little boxed in here. So if I get back here a little bit, don't start freaking out. I'm just preaching. I'm just walking, okay? But we are in a series called Stay Positive. And a couple weeks ago, Brian preached. I just want to take a second to talk about this. Brian preached a sermon called Get Your Passion Back. Get your passion back. And after he preached that, and I've been thinking about it, and especially as I was preparing today's message, if you missed that sermon, or if it didn't hit you right and it didn't sink in, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. Because if you do not have that thing right, if you do not have the passion for the Lord right, if you do not have that first priority right, everything else is just going to be kind of like an all-donut diet. It ain't going to work, honey, okay? you got to get that thing right. I said, all donut diet. There, thank you. I didn't know if you couldn't hear the joke because I just didn't get the laughs I was planning for. So we're going to beat that thing till it's dead. Okay, we are talking about ending the scarcity cycle today as we continue our series on staying positive. The scarcity cycle in the natural world is this mindset, the scarcity mindset is identified with poverty. It's a trap that psychologists have discovered or identified where a person can get into the survival system, where we make decisions to fulfill the now that limit our future. The American Psychological Association says it this way, low-income people often cope with their financial challenges by taking actions that are useful for the short term, example, delaying bills in order to pay pay for food, but can have costly effects like incurring expensive late fees. Scarcity mindset, it drains mental resources, narrowing narrowing our focus and impacting our choices. It increases our negative emotions, which affects our decisions, and it contributes to a continuing cycle of poverty. The scarcity mindset is living a life out of a sense of that there is never enough, meaning we have less mental space to make wise decisions, We generally have anxious or negative outlook on life, and we enter into a cycle where we are basically trapped. 
In the spiritual realm, I really think that this plays into that, that it looks a little bit like this. I think it's this. If you imagine a circle with three dots on the circle, and you can enter in anywhere on the circle, but each dot has a name, and the first one is that we consume, and then we lack, and then we fear, which makes us consume, and then we lack, and then we fear, and we enter into this scarcity cycle where we go round and round and round because we either are lacking and then we're fearing or then we start consuming. And if you want a real-life example of this, which I know you all do, is look at this year. It baffles me. One of the most mysterious things about this year, 2020, is how a virus of the lungs resulted in the greatest toilet paper run of the year, of ever. Years and years from now, when our kids are learning about Rona in their studies and learning about what happened this year, they are going to be convinced that Corona was a deadly diarrhea virus. What happened? I mean, it's in my lungs, man. But yet we lack, or we fear, and we consume, and we enter a poverty cycle, this, this, this scarcity cycle that there's not enough there is not enough growing up uh growing up my mom hates this story but growing up um my mom she was very conscious of how she raised us and very conscious of what we put into our bodies and so healthy health food to us it, it was that was the normal and the sweetest thing when it came to breakfast cereals to us was raisin bran because of the raisins and she would limit how many extra raisins we could put in our raisin band? Because raisin is full of, you know, all those natural sugars and whatnot, right? But there was one day, one day of the year that we got really excited about, and that was our birthday. And I consistently say that this, this was my favorite part of my birthday growing up, is that on that day, we were allowed to go to the Owens, which was our local grocery store. And we were allowed to go to the cereal aisle, number 13. And we were allowed to go up and down that aisle and pick any box of cereal that we wanted. I'm talking the little cookies that are just cookies hiding inside of a big box you put with the milk, the, the berriest, licious Captain Crunch that there is, whatever we wanted. But here's the thing, though. When we get back home with that box of cereal, I didn't have a box of cereal, so I had to borrow what Brayden had, and it's Cheerios, so... I don't know, I guess he's healthy too. So we would get home with that box of cereal, and there was this thing, this driving force in us, is that I had to fill my bowl as fast as possible. I had to eat as much as possible. And because I have three siblings, and we are all voracious eaters, and I knew and there was a fear that at some point I would tip that box over and nothing would come out. You guys know what I'm saying? Are you following? Nothing would come out. And in the spiritual realm, we sometimes view God that way. In the spiritual realm, sometimes we view God as like saying, there's a limit to his blessings and favor on us. There's a limit to how much will come. If we live out of that scarcity mindset, it's really hard to have a positive outlook on our life. We consume, we lack, and we fear, and the cycle continues. And what the world will tell you, what unintentionally your body will tell you, what unintentionally what our mind does is that the answer to the scarcity cycle is more. But more is never the answer. More is never the answer. Look at this, Haggai 1, 5 through 6. 
And the prophet says this to the people. He says, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You've planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but you're not satisfied. You drink, but you're still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you are putting them into the pockets filled with holes. And Haggai's coming and he's saying, this is at a time when the people were doing well. Their houses were doing well, but the Lord's temple was broken and shattered and in crumbles. And he's saying, your priorities are out of whack here. Put God first, because more will never satisfy us. There's a war for our hearts, friends. And Satan wants to keep you focused on what you're lacking, because when we do, fear forms, anxiety prevails, and worry dictates our decisions. Satan uses natural things like consumerism and materialism to keep us in this survival mindset, to keep us in the scarcity cycle. John Mark Homer says it this way. You've heard this before, but it's just so good. i got to read it again. He says, ultimately, nothing in this life apart from God can satisfy our desires. Tragically, though, we continue to chase after our desires ad infinitum. The result, a chronic state of restlessness or worse, angst, anger, anxiety, disillusionment, depression, all of which lead to a life of hurry, a life of busyness, overload, shopping, materialism, careerism, a life of more, which in turn makes us even more restless and the cycle spirals out of control. The scarcity mindset that the box eventually will run out, that eventually one day you'll shake it and no more will come. The scarcity mindset gives us a mindset of need, need, need. Turns our prayer life to, Lord, please give, 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 give. And we sacrifice meaningful decisions to satisfy the demands and desires of the moment. And it looks like this. I will substitute pornography instead of keeping the marriage bed sacred. I will substitute phone time or social media instead of a quiet time with God. I will sleep in on Sundays instead of getting up and attending church. I will isolate myself with Netflix or YouTube instead of engaging in community and with my neighbors. Why? Because it satisfies the now, the needs of the now, instead of making future decisions that give you life. Dallas Willard says this, he says, Desire is infinite, partly because we are made by God, made for God, made to need God, made to run on God. We can be satisfied only by the one who is infinite, eternal, able to supply all of our needs. We are only at home in God. When we fall away from God, the desire for the infinite remains, but is displaced upon things that will certainly lead to destruction. How this plays out in my life, when I've had a long and stressful day and I come home, I will tell you what, I have two decisions. I can eat a bag full of celery, but you know what, I eat a tub of ice cream. And when I say tub, I said we're voracious eaters. I can eat a tub of ice cream by myself, sitting down with a good whatever, episode of The Office or whatever we're watching, right? And of those two things, there's one that I will always want to pick, which is obviously the celery. No, that's not right. I will obviously always want to pick mint chocolate chip because it's the best ice cream out there. And I will die on that hill. But here's the thing, though. Of those two things, of eating healthy and exercising or of giving way to just greedily eat too much in an excess of something I deeply desire, one of those will give me life, literally give an add to my life, and one of those will steal from my life. 
And speaking of stealing, isn't that Satan's agenda? He's got it plastered on corporate doors. This is mission statement, right? John 10.10, it says, The thief comes only to steal, steal, kill, and destroy. But I, this is Jesus, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Satan wants to keep you in the mindset, the scarcity mindset, that God's provision will run out. There is not enough. You will not survive. We lack. We consume and then we fear. But Jesus came for the opposite, right? He said, I came promising an abundant, satisfying, and rich life. And that's really true about God. God doesn't just work for the passing grade on blessings, right? In God's blessings, his blessings are lavish. They're extravagant. They're in excess, more than needed. And do you know why? Because he loves you. And he wants to bless you. He wants to throw, he wants to love you and show you that love. Now, I want to pause really quick in this because there's an easy confusion. There's something that can lead to easily misconstrue what I'm trying to say here. Is that this, is that when I'm saying that God's blessings never run out, that equates to an easy life. Or things always working out for me. Or it always works out. If I, this didn't happen, that just means something's better, is bigger, is on the horizon. God doesn't actually promise that. He actually promises the opposite. That life will be hard. That we'll be pursued. It's not going to be easy. That things will not go our way. But he promises to never leave us. Never forsake us. He actually also promises that something will happen in the trials. And in the hard time. And when we're faced with a choice of how to live our lives and how to conduct ourselves, often it feels like we're going upstream. Often it feels countercultural. Often it feels like everybody's going this way, but something's telling me to go this way. How many people have ever tried wading upstream? How many people have gone? It's hard. It's hard. It's, it's, it's so much easier to just let go. It's actually my favorite ride at water parks is the Lazy Susan. Even when the time I was a little kid, I was like, why don't you go down? It's like, no, Mom, I just want the tube, and I just want it to let it take me where it will. I don't know what was wrong with me. I just was lazy from the time I was three, I guess. But I love it. It's so much easier to just let go and just follow the stream. But every cartoon movie ever And every jungle action movie ever gives us this one truth is that every river leads to a waterfall where you're going to (laughs) die. Every one of them. And we must push upstream against the current where it's hard. Listen to this verse, Romans 5, 3 through 5. It says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character. Character strength and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. This hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because He has given His Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. When hard times come, we can trust God who never runs out, who has abundant and fulfilling and rich life, and our, our endurance brings hope of that life. The scarcity mindset wants to tell you that you will run out. The abundant mindset says that even in hard times, I can endure. And my endurance builds hope in the life Christ has promised me. 
Now, maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, okay, I hear all these things, but I feel like I am in the trap. I told you earlier, the scarcity mindset, scarcity cycle is a trap. Maybe you're saying, I feel trapped. I feel like I know those promises. I know those things, but I cannot get past the present trials. I cannot get past the present struggles. I cannot get past, this is too big. This is too overwhelming. This is too taking too much of my attention right now. And so for that, I have a few pro tips for you guys on how to break the scarcity cycle in your life. We're going to be going to 2 Kings chapter 4. If you have a digital Bible with you or a real Bible, if you're online, we're going to 2 Kings chapter 4. We're going to read this short Old Testament story. It says this, One day, the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elijah and cried out. Stop right there. A widow of the group of the prophets. Part of the people serving God. You're telling me she's a widow? Yeah. You're telling me she's having hard times? Yeah. Tell me it's really desperate? Yes. Doesn't, abundant life doesn't mean that just everything works out for us. It means that God's there for us. Let's keep going. One day, the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elijah, cried out, My husband who served you is dead. You know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come, threatening to take my two sons as slaves. What can I do to help you, Elijah? said, asked, tell me, what do you have in the house? Nothing at all, except a flask of olive oil, she replied. Verse 3, Elijah said, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Go into your house with your sons. Shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from the flask into the jars, setting each one aside until when it is filled. Verse 5, so she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her. She filled one after another. Soon every container was filled full to the brim. Bring me one other jar, she said to her sons. There aren't any more, he replied to her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. Verse 7, when she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, now sell the olive oil, pay your debts, and, your son, and your, you and your sons can live on what was left over. This is a story to me that pictures scarcity and abundance. And the first thing, the pro tip I want to give you guys today is that do not diminish what you have. Elijah looks at her and he says, what do you have? And she says, nothing. Nothing except this little jar of olive oil. <gasps> what? You got a jar of olive oil? It's all God needs. How easy is it to forget that God doesn't need anything to make something incredible in our lives? I think back on the stories of the Bible that we all know. I think back on all the stories and I think of David who had five stones, five little stones. Yet he killed a giant and became a king. Think of Jesus who had five loaves and two fish, yet he fed 5,000. I think of a widow that had a little jar of olive oil, yet paid off her debts and was able to live through a famine. I think of Moses who had just a stick. Yet it became a miracle, and it hit a rock, and life came out of the rock, and he led people from slavery into freedom. I wonder what we have. I wonder if you have a voice. I wonder if you have a meal to share with somebody. I wonder if you have a car to bring somebody to church. I wonder if you have a living room to host a service, a seat at your table, a kind word, a hug, an encouraging letter, time to give, money to give. What do you have instead of what do you need? Because God often does the extravagant through what seems so insignificant. The story of Moses is one of my favorites when he says, God, why are you sending me? What do you have? I, don't, I cannot do this. And he says, what do you have in your hand? He says, it's a staff. 
the stick. And then God blows his mind. What do you have in your house? I have nothing except a jar of olive oil. What can God do with that? What can God do with something that seems so insignificant? Years ago, I was in a pretty bad place. We don't have time to get through the whole context of the story. But basically, I felt like I had, been, I had betrayed a very, very close friend of mine. Failed him in a very big way. I felt hurt. I felt broken. I was in a very pivotal time in my relationship with the Lord. I was really trying to live right. And I feel like I had my first opportunity and I blew it. And I was just a wreck. I remember weeping and crying and cussing myself out in my head and telling myself how much of a terrible, stupid person I was. I remember going to the office where I was working at the time and just scrolling through some numbers and Matt Cox's name popped out to me. It was on the little registry of office phones that had his um, number on there. And for whatever reason, I dialed Matt Cox's number. Father of five, newborn kid. And I called him at 12 o'clock at night. And Matt picked up the phone. I said, Matt, I just need to talk to somebody. He said, okay. Give me five minutes. Come over. And then Matt... Matt sat me down on his couch. He just talked to me. He loved me. Where was that? It changed my life. And all he ever did for me was give me his time. I wonder what insignificant thing we have in our lives that God wants to do something extravagant through. Matt probably will never know the impact his words had on me that night. He will never know how transforming the time I sat on his couch and just wept. And he comforted me. He spoke God's promises over me. And now, as a father of three, and one of them six weeks old, I know the sacrifice it was <laughs> to have a snotty-nosed, college student come and sit on my couch at 12 o'clock at night when your kid's going to wake up every two to three hours demanding your time. What did he have to give to me? He was on missionary salary. He raised support. He didn't have money, but he had time and encouragement, and he poured that into me. What do you have? God uses the insignificant things in our lives to do something extravagant. And also this, number two, God's abundance often follows faith. God is so fully obsessed, not with money and not with things, but with our hearts and with you and with me. It's his greatest commandment. Love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Just give me everything. Just give me your full attention. Put your priority, for, put me as your first priority. John Mark Homer says it this way, is that ultimately we become what we give our time and attention to. And so often it's so easy to get our priorities mixed up. And you know, a very real place of the scarcity cycle plays out in our lives. A very easy place. And God actually set up a system to test this weekly, monthly. is in the tithe. It's in our finances. You know, we didn't plan any of this today, and I have the same verse that Larry wrote today. You know that second song that Braden sang? 
God, how's it go? <laughs> the God of more is inside of me, something like that. The God of abundance is inside of me. The God that is more than enough is inside of me. Sometimes you got to listen for the Holy Spirit picking up threads of things and stringing a message together. And I feel like that's happening today. The tithe is a place where God tests our mindset. If we're living through scarcity or if we're living through abundance. You ever wonder why it's a percentage and not a lump sum? Raise X amount of money in your church or synagogue every year. And then that's enough. And then you have like the little thermometer that you, you know, mark off every year and you can see how much it's really. No, God says percentage. I really believe that he says percentage because it tested my heart and faith when I was six, when I got $10 for my birthday and I had to give it then as it does now. Because 10% helps me test and say, am I trusting God in this moment or am I not? And I just want to share a, a real story from my life is that we didn't always grow we did not grow up in the most affluent homes um we four kids and my mom chose to homeschool us in a time when homeschooling was not mandated by the state and my dad was a one salary restaurant manager and there were often times and pockets that i can remember growing up where unemployment was a real story in our house and there were often times where i remember there uh being scarcity but I can never remember a time when my mom let the tithe bucket go by without writing it and putting it in there. And why it is that important to me is because to me, at a young age, it showed that faith releases abundance. Because we never went short on a mortgage payment. We would go out to the mail and say, Mom, here's a letter with no name and no number, no return address, and it was just enough to cover. I remember a time when um, I was battling what to do with my life and where career I was going to go, and I felt called to the ministry, but I just really didn't want to do it. I really wanted to make a good amount of money and take care of a large family. I wanted to have originally six kids, and now I think three sounds like six kids. <laughs> and finally, one day on a Sunday morning at Atwood Church, in the back row, I said, God, I will follow you to the ministry, but I can't pay for it. I don't have the money to go to Bible college. I remember coming home from one semester, and I remember not knowing if I was going to be able to go back after that semester. And somebody in the congregation at my 30-person church, where six of them was my family, said, hey, I feel like I need to pay for the rest of your tuition this year. And they covered it for me. Man, I did not plan on getting emotional today. Malachi 3.10 says this, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heavens and armies, if you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. When we are faithful with God has given us, God gives more. 
if you like catchy phrases, if you feel spiritually stuck, maybe it's because you've been storing instead of pouring. You get it how it rhymes there? Storing and pouring? You know. You can post that on Facebook later. But maybe we've been holding on to the thing that, God, we need more, God, we need more, God, please answer. But God's saying, just release this, and I will give you more. The story of the talents in the Bible, God, you see the story that Jesus says, he, uh, a master left and he had three servants. He gave one a certain amount of money, two a certain amount of money, a third one a certain amount of money. The first two doubled what they gave him, but the third one, scared of what the master would do, scared and feeling the scarcity, hid it, dug a hole, buried it. When the master came back, he said, I've been fa- I, I doubled what you gave me. He said, here, here's more. I doubled what you gave me. Here, here's more. I hid what you gave me. I stored it up. I didn't want to lose it. I didn't want to let go. He said, take this away from him and give it to the one that doubled it. When we are faithful with what God has given us, it releases abundance over us. I really believe that because I've seen it in my life. The part of the story where... I got my tuition fulfilled was that I was actually speaking at that church that day. And I went with the intention of raising funds. And then right before the service started, God said, do not say anything about money. I mean, right before. I mean, I had notes and everything. I was like, well, what the heck am I supposed to talk about for 45 minutes? Because we went two hours then, 45 minutes of testimony. If you were from a small church, you know what I'm talking about, okay? And then there was like an hour and a half of just unscheduled time that we just filled with stuff, okay? And so filled it or whatever, but God answered. And I wonder what would happen if I had not been faithful with that in that moment. I wonder if I would be here or in ministry if I had not been faithful with God, it called me to do in that moment. Do not diminish what God has given you. God loves to do the extravagant through our insignificant. God's abundance follows, often follows our faithfulness. And this is our last point today, is that your contentment will bring you peace. We often hear Philippians 4, Verse 13, right? For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. If you're old school, strengtheneth me, right? But what's so growing up, I never knew the few verses before that verse. Because you kind of get in this thing where you just see all the common verses and you read them and stuff. And I can do everything. I can run this 5K or whatever. I can do everything. But there's this verse, a couple of verses before that, that says this. Verse 11. Paul saying, not that I was ever in need, for I learned how to be content with whatever, what, with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And then he adds in this last line, he says, even so, you've done well to share with me in my present difficulty. I love that. Paul's like saying, I can do anything. I can be starving or I can be full. I can have an empty wallet or full wallet. I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. But seriously, though, thank you for sending me stuff because I was in a real desperate time. Uh, Paul feels like to me just a little bit of reality there. Contentment is our secret weapon against scarcity. Scarcity. Contentment, just saying, God, I am content and know that you are abundant and you will provide in the right time, in the right way, and I trust you. 
is our secret weapon. Content people are not looking for more. Content people use what they have. Content people are actually blessed with more. It's when we are hungry that we get into trouble. Again, the Psychology Association says this. It says, hungry and thirsty people focus more on food and drink than satiated people. This helps explain why so many dieters overeat and regain the weight after a diet. I went to the grocery store last week. I went in for milk and chocolate. That's the list that my wife gave me. I had not eaten lunch. I walked out with a $57 bill for milk and for chocolate. But how many do you know is when you get hungry, you start making decisions that are not going to lead to your future? How many know is that when you focus on this desire, I need to fill it, I need to fill it, is that you suddenly spend $57 on milk and chocolate? When desire rules our actions, we continue to live out of consuming, out of lack, and out of a fear mentality. But when we are content, when we live faithfully, we use what we have, we're faithful with what God has given and steward us to, uh, given us to steward, we receive blessing and more blessing from God. And I believe that's where our positive lifestyle, where our positive outlook on life can come. This is our conclude with these few thoughts right now is this. What I would really hate for you to do today is to walk away feeling guilty. What I would really hate is that you walk away feeling like you're not living up to the full life God's given you. Because today is not that message. Today is a message of hope. I want to go back up to John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Church, Christ has such an abundant life for you. He wants more for you. He's ready. He's positioned to give you more. And when you start living out of an abundance life, out of a trusting life, because the scarcity cycle really does this. It's just asking one question. Who are you trusting right now? Are you trusting that when you tip over, you fill in the blank, nothing's coming out? Are you trusting that the God of more than enough is living inside of you? Are you trusting that the God of more than enough can provide for you? Are you trusting that the God that does not need our tithe, does not need us, does not need resources, can fully just blow out the storehouses and lavishly bless you? Man, we can do something really cool when we live out of that mindset. Church, if we can just stand for just one moment, I'm going to read one more verse over you and we'll close with prayer. And then I believe Larry has a few closing announcements for us today. Ephesians 3, 20-21 says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at, the, at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's bow and pray. Father, thank you, God, for this people. Thank you, God, for the technology to go forth to reach the whole church, Father, that we can still gather together, God, whether on YouTube or in person. Thank you, God, for this word and message today, Father, and the people that have played into it. And thank you, God, mostly that you've always been so abundantly faithful to me. Thank you, God, for carrying me and my family through hard times and good times. Thank you, God, for all the fathers and mothers of faith that have went before me, Father, and taught me that lesson. Thank you, God, for the physical father and mother you've given me that taught me that lesson from a young age. God, we just give you our hearts 
and our attention right now, God. Lord, anything that's vying for our attention, God, anything that's trying to make you our second priority, Father, we just silence those voices in the name of Jesus Christ. Anything that's quenching the Holy Spirit's touch and work today, we just tell and command to go in Jesus' name. Lord, I so fully believe that we are a people of the presence, that you've, you've given us your Holy Spirit, Father, and we steward it and foster it well, Father. Bless this people, God, and give us an abundant and hopeful outlook on this life this next week. In Jesus' name, amen. You be seated for just a moment.